So far, the only uh, the only accommodation I've made to this storm is uh, my te uh, tennis shoes instead of my normal dress code on Sunday. So that's all that's all I'm giving Irma right now is is tennis shoes. Um, so you know, it's been a week, right? And uh, these types of weeks are always these kind of things. There's there's just tons of things that are up in the air. And as we got into Thursday, you know, the first question became, you know, well, are we going to have gatherings? And, uh, and then we've had the thought of just saying, you know, well, let's have a gathering, but let's interrupt the series and, and just do a communion, which we're all going to do communion today. But then it, it occurred to me that um, the actual word of the week uh, for this week is trust. And I was like, well, what a better, what actually a better word to talk about uh, with, with what we're doing than, than trust. And so... Uh, this is the third week of this series we're calling 12 Words, where we're, where we're looking at something called essential spirituality. So what, does, what, what are the essentials of, of faith and of spirituality? And if you just stripped it away from some of the you know, church talk and church language that we sometimes throw into these things, if we could just name these concepts in everyday language, what would they be? And so uh, we started off with, with the word powerless, how uh, any... Any journey of faith begins with the acknowledgement that you're powerless. You're powerless to control your world simply because you're not God. And then we moved from there to uh, from powerless you go to hope. You know, if I'm not God, is there a God out there? And, of course, we would say, yes, you know, there is, there is this power, this God, this, um, this God that sent his son Jesus to actually help us in our weakness. That's the way it's designed to work. And then this week, like I said, we're going to turn to the idea of, okay, so the beginnings of faith, there is a power out there. I am not it. What does it look like to actually trust that uh, power? And so we're going to talk about that today. And I want to try and talk about it in, in very practical language, actually, even before, um, before all of the news of the storm started to hit. You know, I was determined to try to make this a very practical um, message. And I want to let you know also that we're, we're going to try and, and shoot for a little bit of a shorter gathering just to get folks um, kind of on their way a little bit quicker. You guys also know me. I talk a lot. I can't guarantee that. Um, but, um, but we're going to just lay out some concepts of trust, and then we're going to go to the Lord's table at the end of the gathering and sing a few more songs. So I want to, I want to start off by, by showing you guys um, or telling you guys a story. The first, the first time I got to travel, you know, for those of you guys who don't know me, I used to do a lot more of this music thing in my 30s. And um, when I was like 31 or I think 31 or 32, I took my first, like, I got my first big gig, my first big traveling gig as a, as a guitar player. And it was actually with a song, songwriter uh, by the name of Matt Redman. He actually wrote Better As One Day. And uh, the first thing that we were going to do was travel to Vancouver, British Columbia, and uh, be a part of a worship conference there. It was going to be like five days long. We were going to be at the universe. <laughs> Bonnie's from Canada, and she's like, you know, uh, she's having a moment. Um, and so we were actually staying on the campus of the University of British Columbia. It, is, it was stunningly beautiful. We were there in like, I think, I don't know, June or something. And... Uh, we had so much time off, and, and as part of being part of the conference, they gave us run of the university, and we had passes. We could go different places of the university, and so we decided to go swimming one day, so we went over to the aquatic center, swam for a while, and uh, they, have a, a, they have an Olympic diving pool, 
Um, and so, like, I grew up, I grew up swimming. I grew up in the water. Like every day of the summer, I was in the water, and and I love the water. I just love swimming. Every, you know, every chance I get. And uh, there were like four or five of us who had gone over, and we were all sitting. And you know, you can, it, I can, you can be a thirty-two-year-old man. You could be a fifty-two-year-old man. You, but but if you get a bunch of guys together, they become twelve-year-old boys. And sooner or later, somebody says, "Hey." I dare somebody to go jump off the high platform. And so I was like, man, I grew up in the water. I grew up, I'm, 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 I'm fine with this. So um, I'm like, I'll totally do it. So I start walking up the stairs and I get to the first platform, you know, oh, that's for, you know, wimps, whatever. So I keep going and I get up and I have, you know, maybe you've had that moment uh, right when you, I walked up to the top stairs and took the first step up on the platform and was like, this was a mistake because that is a 10-meter platform, which is 33 feet high. And that doesn't, may not sound like a lot from on the ground, but 33 feet from up there, I'm like, this is higher than any dive, high diving board I've ever jumped off. And I got there, but there became this moment of, okay, it was like, well, are you going to do the walk of shame, like literally back down, you know? Um, <laughs> Or are you going to go for it? You know, because my buddies are there watching. And, and uh, you know, I don't want to, it's not all that dramatic. You know, I was just like, well, I, I hope I can do this. So I just kind of like took, you know, there was probably like an eight-year-old kid who had done it like, come on, dude, just take the jump. And I ended up doing it. It was fun. But it really gets at this idea uh, of, of kind of what it means to, to trust when you come to the edge of something, when you come to that, that moment where you have to make a decision. Some of us are parents. Uh, some of us may not be parents, but maybe you were a child and you remember what it was like when your parent was standing in a, in a swimming pool and you were on the edge and maybe you were six or eight or something and your parent is just saying, just jump in. Just jump in. Any parents ever like do this, like standing in four feet of water, like it's up to your shins and you're like, just jump in. And they're like, I don't want to jump in. You're like, would you please just jump in? You just stand there. I would stand there with both my kids and just have that moment of trying to convince them, look, I will catch you. I will catch you. And they would just stay there, you know, on the edge. And then there would be the, I don't, you know. Um, And that was a moment of, of trust. Another, another example of, of what it means to trust also involves my kids. Um, like my kids have gone ziplining before. We all went ziplining. And uh, we went ziplining in Guatemala on uh, both my daughter and my son when we went down there. And then just recently in, in March, we went ziplining up in uh, uh, north of Atlanta. It was like 20 degrees that day. That's why we're like, it was the stupidest thing ever. But... Um, but that's actually from Guatemala. But there's this moment of, of you get to the edge of stepping out off of a platform or, or stepping out into a ravine of just, oh my gosh, you know, I am here safe and now I have to step out uh, and trust that this zip line is going to hold me, you know, in swimming. It's, it's I'm going to trust that my parents are going to catch me. And it really gets at what it means to really, really trust God. So I want to I kind of go from here to a story to just telling you guys or sharing with you, this is the dictionary definition of trust. Trust is a belief in the reliability and the effectiveness or someone or something. So it's, it's the belief 
not just that something exists, but that it is reliable and effective. You know, in our, in our examples, like, it is, the, it is the belief that I, as, as uh, my children's father, as my, the, my children's parent, that I could be effective in catching them. And, and I could until my son, like, got to weigh about 140 pounds or something like that. Um, the reliability and the effectiveness is the zip line going to be reliable. And so when we talk and start talking about God, it goes beyond the idea of, like, just believing in God. It gets at the question, okay, I might believe in God. Do I believe that he's reliable? And do I believe that he's effective? And in my life, that journey from like belief to believing he's effective was a big journey. It made and makes all the difference in the world to me and in my life. This is the way I would say it in sort of like I was just writing something out. That trust is living out the truth, and and see if this resonates with anybody with where we're at today. Trust is living out the truth that beneath everything we experience in this world, the boredom, the disappointments, the insecurities, and the uncertainties, that everything is going to be all right. That God is with us, that he loves us, and in the end, he will win. Jesus says in the Gospels, like, I have these these folks, they're my brothers, they're my sisters, they're my children, and no one, nothing will ever snatch them out of my hand. You know, trust is coming to believe that statements like that are reliable and effective, and you can actually build your life on them. It's different than what a lot of us uh, grow up with in the church, Because trust is beyond like the normal religious indicators that maybe we grew up with. The first thing is, is it's beyond fire insurance. You know, some of us came to faith by saying, look, you know, if you died tonight, where would you spend eternity? And so we got that fire insurance by praying the prayer, Jesus save me, right? And he does save us. But you can have the fire insurance and yet not trust God in your everyday life. You can have it because you can just keep it over there. Like you keep our, we keep our insurance policies kind of in a file cabinet, okay? It's beyond doctrine and belief. This is very important. Believing the right, accurate things about God is important. But you can believe everything about God. You can know your theology cold and yet not trust God. You can keep it just abstract and conceptual, but trust is when you say, oh, I actually, it's not just that I believe these things, I actually believe that they're reliable and effective in my life. And lastly, trust is beyond even good behavior. It's beyond good behavior. Now, good behavior and ethics and morality is supremely important to a Christ follower. But it's also, maybe you've known somebody like this that that ticks off the, hey, don't drink, hey, don't do this, don't do that, but they don't actually live a life of trust. They live a life of, I'm doing okay if I just behave the right way. Trust goes way beyond these normal religious indicators that we have. It is It is like a wide open space beyond all of these things. And um, 
It actually puts us in really good company. If you start to live a life of trust, it, it puts us into a really good company with people in the Bible. Because you could read the Bible, and I would encourage you to do this, and you read stories of people who don't even check off all the right boxes of morality, whose, whose belief systems are still being worked out. They're messy, but yet they have a radical life of trust in God. Here's a short list just this week of some people that I, I'm aware of. Abram we talked about last week. You know, he's working out in a way like who God is. He shows up and says, Abram, go on this journey. Abram just does it. And it's not a perfect journey. Abram has to work out his relationship with God between Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. Esther, you know, she uh, is in this weird situation where she's a, essentially a concubine in, in, um, in the um, King Xerxes' um, harem. And there's this one statement where she's going to go in to see the king because she's been challenged to do that because the Jewish people were about to be annihilated. And she has this moment. She says, well, I'm going to go in and see the king. And she says, if I die, I die. If I live, I live. But I have to do this thing. That's a life of trust. That's just saying, look, I, I don't know if, where I fit into your little religious box. But here I know I have to go this thing. And if I die, I die. If I live, I live. King David. You know, he's, he's this prototypical Bible hero. But he's also associated with murdering one of his close followers. And in Psalm 121, you know, he has this great, he has, he has statements of radical trust in God all over the place. Psalm 121, he says, look, I lift my eyes up to the hills. And he says, where does my help come from? Remember, he's a king and a military commander. And in that moment, he says, my help comes from God. That's trust. And he says in, in Psalm 20, uh, just another radical statement of trust and not fearing God, uh, even though, you know, he has all the reason to be trust, trusting in his own skills, in his own resources. He says, no, my trust is actually in God. Peter and the disciples, they follow Jesus. They leave everything behind. They go on this journey of trust. Paul, another apostle, guy who has his life turned upside down, man, and he just throws, he goes all in with Jesus. And even when he's getting beaten and whipped, and rejected by his own people. He just keeps going. That's a life of trust. It's messy. It's messy, but it is a constant testing and relying on the effectiveness and the reliability of God. And that is an amazing, amazing place to be. Um, another way to think about it is the life of trust is a movement from acceptance and attitude to action. So the last two weeks, thinking about whether you're powerless or not, thinking about where your hope is. Those are attitudes. Those are conceptual beliefs that you have to kind of come, come to uh, grips with. Trust is when you start acting on those. Trust is when you say, okay, I've done the powerless thing. I've done the hope thing. Now, what does it actually mean physically in my life? It is a movement from praying the prayer of essentially, my will be done, God. God, let me tell you what I want, and please bless that, to just saying, God, your will be done. I don't know. I don't know. Just your will be done, and I'll follow it. From my will to thy will. It is a movement from just your intellect to emotion. 
It's a movement from just keeping it up here in your head to saying, God, I have nobody else right now but you. So just, God, take me and lead me. And it's a movement from willingness, which is what we talked about last couple weeks, to practice. God, I'm, I'm not just willing anymore. I'm actually going to come out and test this thing. I'm going to take a step. Now, in this, it's important to remember, and we just talked about it before you guys all showed up. We were talking about it as a team this morning. It doesn't mean perfection. Think of Abram. Think of Esther. Remember, it's not about being the perfect little Christian boys and girls. It is about a life of radical trust. Sometimes you're going to get it wrong. But it's about saying, look, I'm going to practice trust every single day of my life. Why? Because remember, Jesus promises this rich, abundant life. John 10, 10. Why have you, Jesus, why have you come? I've come so that they can have life that they can have life and have it rich and abundantly even on the days when a storm is coming. Like there's no footnote in my Bible that says, I've come and so they'll have rich and abundant life except for the really hard days. There's no asterisk after that statement. It's rich, abundant life, period. I ran across this story this week. There's a guy who journeyed uh, across the world, literally. He went to Kolkata, uh, years ago to seek out Mother Teresa. And he came to serve with her and he came to meet her and he, got, he actually got to meet her. And he went, went up to her and said, um, Mother Teresa, would you pray? She said, how shall I pray for you? What do you want me to pray for you for? Man, that's a big deal. Mother Teresa says, hey, what would you like me to pray for you about? And he said, pray that I would have clarity. And she said, No. I will not do that. And he said, oh. And he said, you know, like, why not? He was kind of crestfallen. And she said, because clarity is the last thing that you are clinging to. And you have to let go of it. And then he said, well, well Mother Teresa, like, you seem to always have clarity. You moved into Calcutta. You, you, you are crystal clear on your mission. And you just do it every day. Mother Teresa, you have clarity on this. And she said, uh-huh. She said, I have never had clarity. What I have always had is trust. And she said, so I will pray that you will trust God. And it's really easy as we start to talk about practicing faith and practicing trust that we, we confuse clarity and trust all the time. I've come to learn in my life, and this is just me, I could be wrong, that uh, Clarity is not the same thing as trust. I don't get to know the end of the story. You know, I, I, there's a part of me like clarity is kind of like getting up on the top of that diving platform and kind of want, wishing that instead of that step off that all of a sudden it became like a water slide and I could just sit down and whoosh. That's kind of what clarity is like. Take me from that moment where I have to step off. Mother Teresa says, clarity and trust are not the same thing. So what I want to do is, is we kind of like start going to the table. I want to just kind of exam examine some of the ways that I've thought about this week. Because like I said, this is, this is action. This is what I call the so what week. Okay, powerless. Okay, hope. So what? Well, so what? Trust. 
So what I want to do is just kind of give you guys a few practical tools in my life that have helped me navigate trust because I can tell you trust was a hard thing for me because, man, I, could, I knew the right things to believe about God. I struggled with some of the morality things. I wasn't always perfect, but I thought that that's what being a Christ follower meant, believing the right things and being a good guy. But I could do all of those things and never, ever trust God. Because until you trust, like you just keep trying to take back that control, which takes you right back to being in power again. So uh, I want to introduce uh, a little a verse out of the book of Romans, which is just a letter that Paul, who is this guy who, who knew how to trust God, he wrote, wrote this letter to this little church in Rome and he makes this one little comment that really starts us down the journey of trust. And Paul says this to this church. He says, don't, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, which is really a pattern of, of clarity, of desiring clarity. And he said, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your, your mind. Renewing of your mind. You see, when you just exist in the world, your mind just naturally conforms to the way the world thinks. And man, the world wants the clarity. They want to shrink the gap of any uncertainty in your life. And Paul's like, look, one of the things you have to do is, as a believer is recognize that you have to switch your mind. You have to switch your thinking. And so if you're here and, and you're saying, you know what, I'm not sure that I know what this trust thing is. I'm not sure that I've ever really taken that step. And, and what does it look like to actually, what practical things, Eric, can you give to me to do it? I would say start with renewing your mind. And here are some ways to renew your mind. And I just want to speak very directly because I think a lot of us even go, you know what, I want the trust. I want to renew my mind, but then we actually never do anything about it. And the thing about the spiritual life that I've had to learn a lot of times the hard way is that God asks us to partner with him. He asks us to partner with him to help our lives change, to get that rich and abundant life. And so the first thing I had to do was uh, admit my need and open up. Yeah, I just stopped, like, I had to stop thinking that I had all the answers and that I just was okay where I was. Which is really, again, what we've just been talking about for the past two weeks. It's admitting again, look, I'm powerless and I need hope. I can't keep doing the same things that I've been doing and reading the same things that I've been doing and arranging my time the same way I've been arranging my time and then expect for something different to happen. Anybody ever done that? Like you just do the same things, the same habits, but then you expect a different result? Some people would call that insanity. Next thing you have to do is uh, you have to dip your toes at least in the, in the water of prayer. You have to dip your toe in the water of prayer. You have to learn to kind of like say, well, to renew my mind, I, I need to start taking things in that are different than what I take in. And one of the great ways to do that is to pray. And you could do a lot of different prayers. We're gonna give you a prayer to pray today. Like if you're ready where you just want to say this prayer of trust, um, this will be available for you at the end. There's lots of different ways to pray. I would say, look, it's a necessity, but there's freedom in how you do it. 
But Jesus was a man of prayer. Every single person that I just probably rattled off on that list in the Bible, they were people of prayer. They may not have been perfect people. But we have to renew our mind by letting God speak to us and letting us speak to him. The other thing you can do is actually read the scripture. <laughs> you know, some of us, we give all of our time to other entertainment forms. I love Netflix. I love Hulu. love Amazon Prime. I love books. But my mind is never going to change if all I ever do is take in the same old stuff that I've always taken in. That's not going to renew my mind. If I've never read the Bible before, maybe I just should. Because it might be something different than what I have done. I mean, I have read the Game of Thrones. I love it. I have read Harry Potter. I love it. I read fiction and history and biography. But this book, this book, this book is not an option for me. Because this book challenges me. Next thing. Um, well, actually, hold, like before we go to the next thing. So these are kind of things that we do personally. But I want to go back to the, to the idea of, of, of trust and those moments when, when my children and I were learning to zip line. Because I think there's something real practical also about renewing your mind. And this is where it kind of even speaks to where we're at today. You see, like, uh, when, we were go, when we were in Guatemala especially, uh, and we were going up to zip line, you know what we weren't, you know what we weren't doing? We were not doing it alone. There were other people. Some of those people had ziplined before. Some of those people had ziplined an awful lot. Some of them were first-timers. Some of them screamed when they went. Some of them laughed. When you're trying to renew your mind and when you're trying to practice trust, one of the best things you can do is watch other people. But watch other people who are trying to live the life that you want to live. Watch people who seem to have a rich and satisfying John 10.10 life. Don't watch your crazy coworker. Don't watch your crazy Instagram feed. That's one of the reasons we have this thing called growth groups. So you can sit in a room where like, man, these people, I, I know these people aren't perfect. But they seem to be desiring the same thing that I want. So maybe I should just look around. Because when those people went down the zip line, one of the ways that we were able to take that chance, we're like, whoa, these people, they, they seem to be doing it fine. So maybe I can do it too. Maybe it's not going to be the end of the world and I can take that, that step off because I'm not alone. Very similar thing is when we, we, when we did that zip lining thing, there were guides. There were guides. They walked us up the mountain. One of them went to the far end. They had hard hats on. They checked our rigging. They knew what they were doing. They were experienced people. If you want to live a life of trust, you want to explore this, where are the guides that you would look at? It's just somebody who look at and they're like, man, this person seems to be a little bit further down the road in this trust thing. They seem to have a little more peace in their life than I do. Maybe I should go talk to them. Renew your mind. There are people in this community who have lived a long life of trust and they're still on that journey. Could be your growth group leader. Could be somebody else in your growth group. Could be a pastor. Could be somebody you just see on Sunday morning that serves you coffee and seems to have such a, an element of peace about them. And you're like, man, what is different about that person? Grab some time with them. Can I talk to you? How do you get trust? How does this grow up in your life, right? 
I can't, not, I can't get any more practical without literally telling you what to do. And I'm not going to do that unless you come and ask me for coffee. And then I might tell you, well, okay, do this and do that. But here's the deal. You can do all those things. You can watch other people. You can look at the guides. You can read your Bible at home. But you know what you have to do eventually? you got to step off. You know, if you guys have heard me talk long enough, you know I'm not, I am not a fan of heights. And the first time I went up on that zip line, I watched other people. And I looked at the guides. But there was still a moment when I had to harness in and take those steps and feel my, that weight shift on to those, uh, onto that wire. So you can do all these things, but eventually I'm going to tell you, you have to step off. And it may not be comfortable. Because a life of trust is not comfortable. But it's the only life that's worth living. There's this scene in uh, Finding Nemo. And they're, they're looking so desperately for Nemo, Marlon is... And you guys remember this? They get sucked into a whale. And uh, Dory is trying to tell Marlon that she speaks whale. And she says, he t- he tells, he's telling us to go to the back of the throat. And Marlon's like, no, we can't do that. That's it. We're going to be eaten. And they're, they're, at one point, I don't know how fish could hold on to each other with flippers. But that's another thing entirely. But like Marlon is, is holding on to Dory. And she's about to kind of like let go. And, he, and she's like uh, into the darkness. And she says, you have to let go. And he says, but what if something bad happens? How can you tell me that? How do I know that nothing bad is going to happen? And Dory says, what? You don't know. And he lets go. And she falls. And that actually ends up being the thing that saves them and helps them to save and find Nemo. And some of us have been holding on, man, and we do not want to let go. We don't want to let go. And it's not easy. And this is where it becomes really real because look, trusting God does not mean nothing bad's ever going to happen to you in your life. It does not. But it does mean that you'll be with God and God will be with you when it happens, not if. It means you will be walking with God. And that rich and satisfying life will be right there, right there. And in that sense, it's all about this phrase that I've been playing with over the past couple weeks. It's all about rightly relating to God and keeping him in control instead of me. When I'm in control, that is not rightly relating to God. God is not my, in this sense, God is not my sort of... um, you know, compadre, or, or like my, my sort of co-pilot. God is directing me in trust. And I say, God, what's, what's the next right thing? How do I look at other people and say, okay, they're doing this and I'm doing that, so I'm gonna respond this way. Um, I said, that, you know, there's a beautiful thing, and I just wanna leave us with this promise today because I believe that it's accessible right now even in what we're, what we're uh, sitting with right now. 
uh, that guy Paul that wrote that transform your mind thing, uh, at the end of his life, he's in jail. He's in a Roman jail. He's still struggling. He's still trusting God. And he writes that life with God, rich and satisfying life, is simply uh, one of the expressions of that is that there's this peace of God that transcends all understanding. Now, how bad do you want some peace this morning? How bad do you want peace? Because you're not going to get it by staying in control of everything. That's a, that's a recipe for, for stress. But you take that step off and you feel, you feel your weight shift from from what you thought was the best part, the solid ground, you feel your weight shift onto that wire and then all of a sudden you're out amongst the trees. Or you take your step off, you take that step off and there's that moment of fear and then you feel your, your father catch you. And you're like, hey, I didn't have so much to be afraid of. This moment here seems scary, but that moment down there or out there is a place of peace that transcends understanding. We're going to go to the Lord's table. And I would like to and invite you to experience the table this morning as a place of trust. I love the fact that, that Jesus is like, look, I'm going to leave you with things, tangible things, uh, wine, juice, Bread, tangible things that remind hum human beings of the fact that I'm with you. And so today, I'm going to invite the servers to come forward. Today, if you stand in need of trust, and I think we all do this morning, let this table be a place of trust to you. Let this place be a place where you can step off and experience the peace that surpasses understanding this morning. And um, in addition, there are these cards here, and they just have a prayer, a prayer of surrender. And just like last week I gave you guys a prayer to pray for sort of a 30-day experience, God, meet me where I am today, this is a prayer that you can pray every single day of your life. God, here I am. God, be in control today. Be in charge of my life today. And so maybe uh, as you're coming up to the table or after the table, you get a card and take that with you.